Um, I thought that I was going to have to begin with an apology this morning. I thought I was going to have to apologize for what a weird Mother's Day sermon this was going to be. I thought it was going to be as weird as my first Mother's Day sermon, Mother's, Motherhood is War. Say what you will about that sermon, you remember the title. You may not remember the content. But as I studied this passage, I realized that it's not going to be so weird after all. It's actually a very good Mother's Day sermon, or I think so. I was eager to get back to Romans because I want to finish the book of Romans. I'm committed to studying this entire book with you, and I want to finish before I'm as old as Lee Jones. So I wanted to get back. <laughs> I wanted to get back to it this week, which means we're in Romans chapter 3, the first eight verses. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. This is a difficult passage. I have been trying to untangle this passage all week. But at the core of it is a question. And it's a question that I think is also at the core of motherhood. It's a question that I think you'll find that you ask more often than you realize. Because I know that I do. I think we all do. The question is this. Is God faithful? Is God faithful? Is God reliable? Is God trustworthy? Is God dependable? Is God faithful? Now, you're probably not asking that question for the same reasons that the Romans might have been asking that question, but I think the answer will be powerful for us this morning on Mother's Day. So, I'd like to invite you to stand, and we'll read this passage. I want you to put on your thinking caps and try to hang with me as we read this kind of intricate passage. We'll unravel it, and we'll apply it to our lives, especially moms and motherhood. Now, before we read, we always need to ask for God's blessings and and for his help to understand his word. So let's pray. Father, please do help us. Please speak to us through your word. Please give us ears that hear and eyes that see and hearts that are soft and receptive. Lord, we are looking to you for your blessings this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I'm speaking in human terms. May it never be. For otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, as we are slanderously reported and some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Their condemnation is just. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Okay. I'm pretty confident that you all didn't absorb all and understand that passage through that one reading. Let me give you, remind you of where we've been in Romans. Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome, and right now he's anticipating some frustration on their part, especially the Jewish Christians. 
because Paul has just dismantled everything that they were, were relying on. Earlier in the previous chapter, he says, okay, you Jewish Christians, you bear the name Jew. You love the law. You approve things that are good. You even teach and correct and guide. You're even circumcised, meaning you, you bear the identity as God's special people. But then he just sort of wipes all that away and says, but that's all worthless if you don't have Christ. You're just as sinful as the Gentiles who are not God's special chosen people. So he's anticipating here some frustration on their behalf. That they're thinking, so all this is worthless? Maybe you have felt that same frustration because as Paul has been dismantling the Jewish Christians, I've been trying to dismantle you. I've been saying to you, you claim to be a Christian. That's good. You come to church. You're here now. That's good. You believe your Bible is God's word. That's good. You've been baptized. That's good. But it's possible to do all that and not have Jesus and miss everything. For several weeks, that's kind of been the tone. And I I sense maybe some of you are frustrated too, thinking, so is all this worthless? Should we just not even be here? You keep just discarding all this stuff and saying that it's not worth worthy if we don't have Christ. That's the frustration Paul is trying to answer. So, he's anticipating that we're asking, so what good does any of this stuff do? Why be circumcised and call myself a Jew? Why be baptized and call myself a Christian if it's not going to save me? You know, baptism doesn't save you. You know, saying I'm a Christian doesn't save you. Only giving yourself over to Jesus to obey him as Lord to trust him with your salvation. That's what saves you. So Paul answers, no, all this stuff is hugely beneficial. Going to church, being involved in the things of Christianity, or in this case, Jewishness, is hugely beneficial because it's there that you hear the word of God. For the Jews, he said, uh, where is it? Verse 2. First of all, you were entrusted with the oracles of God. That can either mean the promises of God or just the word of God, the Old Testament. Either way, you're, you are hugely benefited just by being here because you're exposed to God's word. That's a huge benefit. But then these hypothetical questioners say, but if so many people receive the word and the promises of God and yet don't believe, as you say, does that not reflect badly on God? If God's word and his promises are that ineffective, can he be faithful Now, fear I may have already lost some of you, so let's get on the same page. I think, I believe from my study that the basic argument Paul's trying to answer is if we're always saying that just coming to church doesn't save you, just hearing the word doesn't save you, you have to give yourself to it, believe, be changed. And I've told you that that Billy Graham agrees with me that probably 80% of most churches are actually non-Christians. The membership are probably not really born-again believers. It's a pretty valid question. Well, if that many people are being exposed to God's word week after week, and that many people remain unsaved and unchanged, does that not reflect badly on God? Does that not mean that God is unfaithful? Are you following me? Like you would say no. It's a pretty good question. Because the Israelites, they were the special people. They had the special word, the promises. And yet, you look at their history... And it's pretty disappointing. There's a lot of unbelief. Abraham and Sarah, you know, he was supposed to be the one that had the lineage that was going to lead to 
Jesus that would bless everyone. And they disbelieved that God would give them a child in their old age. Esau gave up his birthright to be in that lineage for a bowl of stew. Bowl of soup. Just gave it up. Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. Moses disbelieved that God could use him to deliver his people. After all the great miraculous plagues that released Israel from Egypt, they, they disbelieved and murmured and made a golden calf to worship. There's a billion other examples I could point to. Does that not mean that there's some deficiency in God if his people are that messed up? Is God faithful? Psalm 78 sums it up pretty well about Israel's history. You don't have to flip there. You can just listen. Psalm 78, starting at verse 9. Um, I'll start at verse 10. They did not keep the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law. They forgot his deeds and his miracles that he had shown them. He wrought wonders before their fathers in the land of Egypt and in the field of Zoan. And he divided the sea and caused them to pass through. Yet, passing on down a couple of verses, yet they still continue to sin against him, to rebel against the Most High in the desert. And it goes on, that whole chapter is sort of about Israel's failure. If the players are bad, is that not the coach's fault? If the students fail, is that not the teacher's fault? One of the things I love about the Bible is it's intellectually honest. This is a good question, I think. So like I said, you may not be questioning God's faithfulness for the same reason that Paul anticipated these people were. But Paul isn't afraid to take these questions head on. Is God really faithful? I mean, if if the Israelites didn't keep the covenant, doesn't that mean that God isn't so great? If um, If they forgot God's deeds in their life, does that not mean that his deeds just weren't that memorable? If they rebelled, does that not mean that God was not great enough to inspire loyalty? I want you to feel the tension of this question as I flip back and find my passage that I closed the book on. So Paul throws this question out there, and then he just answers with a blunt, clear, concrete no. No, that doesn't mean that God is unfaithful. He says, even if all people are unfaithful, God is faithful. Even if all people are liars, God is true. Even if all people are unrighteous, God is righteous. In fact, faithfulness is really only ever proven in the face of unfaithfulness. How do we know faithfulness unless it's tested? How do we know if God's love is faithful unless it is tested by our unfaithfulness? How would we know? How do we know beauty if we don't know what ugly is? How would we know health if we don't know what illness is? In fact... The idea between the lines here is that the unfaithfulness, falsehood, and unrighteousness of people enhances the faithfulness, truth, and righteousness of God. How can we worship God's faithfulness without the contrast of our own unfaithfulness? There's a book in the Bible, it's called Hosea. It's one of the little prophets that most people never get to. And this is a bizarre book. God takes this prophet, Hosea, and he sets him aside and he says, 
this is going to be your ministry. I want you to go into town. I want you to find a prostitute. And I want you to marry her. And I want you to remain constantly faithful to her. Even though she will constantly turn away from you and try to go back to her old practices. Back to her old lovers. And through the whole book, he does. He continually pursues her and she continually turns away and turns back and rejects him. And the reason God set this prophet aside to do this, it was a sign to Israel that this is how I love you. I am Hosea. You are this prostitute. You continually turn back. You continually turn away. But I am faithful. I continually seek you. Listen to how he puts it in Hosea chapter 2. Oh, I knew I should have marked Hosea. These little prophet books, they're hard to flip too quick. I need Meredith to sing the rap song of the uh, books of the Bible in order that she knows. Okay, you don't have to flip there. You can just listen to how God expresses his faithful love to his unfaithful people in Hosea chapter 2, starting at verse 14. In the face of his people's unfaithfulness, he says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness, and speak kindly to her. Then I will give her her vineyards from there, and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. And she will sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord, that you will call me Ishi, which means husband, and you will no longer call me Bali, which means master. For I will remove the names of the idols from her mouth so that they will be mentioned by their names no more. In that day, I will also make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, and the creeping things of the ground. I will abolish the bow and the sword and war from the land and will make them lie down in safety. I will betroth betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. And he goes on and it's really beautiful. This may seem like a hard truth to grasp here this morning, but let's go back to that question of if the players are bad, is it not the coach's fault? If the students fail, is it not the teacher's fault? How many of you really like these inspirational coach movies or these inspirational teacher movies? A couple of people. Yeah, you can actually raise your hand. It'll be good. It'll get your blood flowing. It'll get you back focused. I like them. They come out constantly. And there's a reason that these stories resonate so deeply with us. Hoosiers is probably one of my favorite ones. It's an old one. Remember the Titans. We Are Marshall. I never saw that one. Miracle. I saw that one, but I don't remember it because it was about hockey. Glory Road. Coach Carter. Cool Runnings, although I don't know if you would consider John Candy that inspirational of a coach. Finding Forrester, Lean on Me, Stand and Deliver, Freedom Riders, The Great Debaters, Dead Poet Society, School of Rock. There's a reason these stories resonate so deeply with us, I think. The story of a coach or a teacher who comes and they are faithful to this messed up group of people to the end, sacrificing everything 
to see this group of people come to their, their full potential. There's a reason that resonates so deeply with us, I think, beyond just the fact that it's inspirational. Maybe some of us are teachers or coaches. I think it resonates so deeply with us because that's the story that we're caught up in. God is the ultimate coach, the ultimate teacher. We are the ultimate messed up team, messed up classroom. And he is faithful to us to the end. And it's glorious. And it's wonderful. God is faithful. God is dependable. God is reliable. But Paul doesn't just leave it there. Again, he's intellectually honest. He asks the next logical question. But if his faithfulness is made so glorious by our unfaithfulness, why are we judged for our unfaithfulness? Why don't we just live it up being unfaithful and make him look that much better? Why not? And that's when Paul answers with this kind of stunning, confusing last sentence. He says, he just sort of brushes it aside and says, their condemnation is just. And I could not figure out what he meant by that. Whose condemnation? This passage is so windy and twisty. I didn't know. But I think I finally cracked the code. I think he's saying that anyone who responds to God's faithfulness like that deserves to be judged. Any spouse who commits adultery and then comes back and receives complete forgiveness, any spouse who receives that and says, oh, well, if you're going to look all high and mighty forgiving me, I'll just go sleep with a, with a dozen people and then you can look even better. Or any player on one of these teams that comes and says, oh, coach, if you're going to look so great because you're faithful to us and we're such a mess, I'm just going to be that much worse. I'm going to just skip practice, make you look that much better. Anyone who responds to faithfulness that way deserves God's judgment. God is faithful. He is the ultimate Hosea. He is the ultimate husband chasing, pursuing his unfaithful bride, the church. His faithfulness is glorious. His reliability is sure. Now, Let's get back to Mother's Day. What does all this have to do with motherhood, with you and me? I think it has a lot to do. I doubt any of you have ever asked these questions of God in your mind. You've never thought, ah, oh, you're not faithful, and then gone through all this logic stuff. It's probably not occurred to you. But I guarantee you have asked the question, are you really faithful? Because I know that I have, and I know that we all have. Every sleepless night when you're consumed with worry as though it was up to you to ensure the safety of your children and that you had no reliable foundation of God, you're asking that question. Every anxious day of turmoil where you're wondering, are you going to be able to provide? Even though you know Jesus has promised that, don't worry, he'll provide. You're asking that question. Is God really faithful? Is he really going to come through? On his word? How many promises of God do we know yet we live as though they're completely false or that he's not going to keep them? God's faithfulness is hugely important to all of life and to motherhood. So, what I have for you now is six specific ways that God is faithful to us. And I'm going to be talking to the moms, but I think we'll all benefit from them, or I have. And I'm not a mom. Number one, 
This one you probably wouldn't think of first. God is faithful to moderate temptation. God is faithful to moderate temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape, so that you will be able to endure it. God is faithful to moderate temptation. Mom, moms, what is your sin proclivity? What is your temptation? Is it worry? Is it anger? Is it jealousy of other families? Is it disbelief? Is it um, easy way outedness to, to kind of shirk responsibility because it is so hard? Is it... Uh, Control? Is it trying to turn the kids against their dad? Is it uh, despair? Temptation to give up, give in? Bitterness, resentment? Motherhood is full of temptations. I think, I think the greater the task, probably the more full of temptations it is. And motherhood is one of the greatest tasks that there is. God is faithful to moderate temptation. Turn to him and teach your children to turn to him. Number two, God is faithful to sanctify you. I should get uh, Kendall to come up here and quote this verse. I saw her earlier. I don't know where she, uh, she's hiding her face. This was our, our theme verse for the beach weekend, and she and Meredith were the ones who memorized it. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, And he also will bring it to pass. Another translation just says, God is faithful, he will do it. Now what does this have to do with being a mom? Well, let's just take one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit that grows in our lives when we are sanctified. Love. Do you moms not feel as though the amount of love required of you is supernatural in nature? The the level at which you have to pour out yourself for the benefit of others, namely your children, is ridiculous. And some of you not only have your children, you also have your aging parents. And your role in their life is becoming more maternal as they are needing more help to take care of themselves. And it falls to the woman. It's rare that the man takes care of the parents. Usually it's the woman in the relationship. You can't love the way you have to love to be a mom unless God does something supernatural and he sanctifies you and he sets you apart and he starts to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And the promise is that because God is faithful, he will bring it to pass. You will grow in love and joy Sanctification is the ultimate depression antidote because the fruit of the Spirit grows, joy grows, peace. The anxiety antidote is sanctification, and God will do it. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Have any of you ever watched Super Nanny or Nanny 911, those shows, and just felt like, Garbage after watching it. 
She can, she can turn a whole family of crazy kids around in 30 minutes. But on the authority of God's word, I'll put my name on this. Matt Broadway says, on the authority of God's word, you Christian, Christian moms, you are becoming super mom. You are. All these things that I listed out, it's not that, oh, maybe you'll get good at some of them, maybe you won't. The Bible says God will do it. He will sanctify you. There's no question mark there. You will grow in these things. God will sanctify you. He is faithful. Number three, God is faithful to strengthen and protect you in your fight against Satan. Again, probably not another one that you're going to find on your greeting card this morning, but it's true and it's good. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, But the Lord is faithful. And he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. I I think about all the evil that lurks around our kids. All the deception. Satan's main method of hurting us is deception. Either he deceives through temptation or he deceives through accusation. All the deception that is out there. That they might believe Satan's lies and bite into that bait with the hook underneath it and be drug off into a life of destruction and sin. It's scary. Because these hooks are hanging everywhere for our kids. Um, I'm taking this more and more seriously, especially now that I have a daughter. If you want to know how crazy I'm getting about protecting my daughter from Satan's schemes and deceptions, I have decided, and this is no offense to anyone who feels differently, I have decided I don't want Lillian to have any of these Disney fairy books and videos. You know what I'm talking about? It's like Tinkerbell and all her, her buddies. Have you seen these? No? They exist. The reason, this, now that I'm saying it out loud, it sounds even more ridiculous, but I'm afraid that Satan is using stuff like that to prematurely sexualize little girls. I don't want my little girl dressing like a little prostitute with wings. And I, and I know I sound crazy. I sound like a crazy person. Look at them next time you see them. Laugh, laugh it up. I'm telling you. Satan is an angel of light. Satan is an angel of light. And it'll look so innocent. It'll look so pure. But I'm not having it. And I trust. I trust this promise that God is faithful. As dangerous, as deceptive, as difficult as this world is, God is faithful. He will strengthen and protect us from the evil one if we'll take refuge in him, if we'll lead our kids to take refuge in him. Moms, if you'll take refuge in him, if you'll pray for your kids to take refuge in him. There's other examples I could give, but that one does the job. No, I'll give one more example. This is along the same lines. Meredith and I were watching TV the other night. I don't remember what the product was. It could have been clothes. It could have been nail polish. It could have been chewing gum. I don't know what it was, but... Clearly, the promise that they were selling was that this product will make you sexy. And it was clearly marketed to younger girls, younger women. Girls, not women. Not this product will make you intelligent. This product will make you successful. This product will make you into a quality young woman. Or not even this product will make you beautiful. Not even beautiful. Sexy. As though that's the big aspiration, that you would look in such a way that some guy would want to have sex with you. It's evil, it's everywhere. That's not the point of my sermon. 
The point of my sermon is that God is faithful, even in the face of all this. Number four, God is faithful to keep his promises. This is a huge one. This might be the biggest one. God is faithful to keep his promises. Hebrews 10.23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The same God who said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. He's faithful. The same God who said, don't worry about what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat. I take care of the birds and all the animals and the plants. I'll take care of you too. He's faithful. He keeps his promises. Maybe your spouse doesn't. Maybe you don't have anyone else in your life that does. But God does. He is faithful. Ask, and, ask without doubting and I'll give you wisdom. So much, I think, at least in my experience, parental anxiety comes from just wondering, am I doing the right thing? Am I disciplining the right way? Am I making the right decision? What we need is wisdom, and we have this promise from a faithful God. If you ask without doubting, he will give it to you. There's no question marks in that verse. He will Number five, God is faithful in suffering. 1 Peter 4, 19. Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. God is faithful to guide you, to strengthen you in suffering. I don't have to tell you how much suffering we have experienced as a church of all different varieties, some of which hit very hard on Mother's Day. From trying to have a child, to carrying a child, to birthing a child, to raising a child, to seeing what happens in a child's life, there is suffering in motherhood. And I just want to tell you, based on God's word, God is faithful. And he will keep you. And he will guide you. And lastly, the sixth one, God is faithful to forgive your sins. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I do not think that you can be a parent, including a mom, maybe moms have a harder time with this, without guilt and regret and mistakes and sins and remorse, and just guilt. You lost your temper, you were a bad example, you didn't trust God, you worried, you uh, said the wrong thing, you chose to be a friend rather than a mom, you, um, I don't know, there's a billion different ways. A billion different ways to fail. <laughs> Again, the, the loftier the task, I think the more opportunities to fail. There's just a million different ways to fail trying to be a parent, and a million different ways to sin. And I want you to know that God is faithful to forgive it all. You may not have a clean thing in your entire life right now. If you have young kids, you probably don't have a clean part of your home. You clean here, and then you move to there, and you look back, and all of the filth in the world has descended on that spot you just cleaned. But God's promise is that you are clean. You are clean. He is faithful to cleanse you 
You are the cleanest thing in your life right now, most likely. Turn to him when you sin. Trust him that that sin, that guilt, is removed as far as the east is from the west. And teach your kids to do the same. So in conclusion, God is faithful. And this Mother's Day, I wish you all power over temptation, the bountiful fruit of sanctification, strength, protection, abundant life, the, the abundant life of one who trusts completely in God's promises, security and guidance in your sufferings, and total refreshing forgiveness and cleansing from all of your past sins, mistakes, all of your future sins and mistakes through Jesus Christ.